Trinity Church, how you doing? You are here, you are alive, blood is pumping, good news. So glad that you're here on this Sunday morning with us. I want to welcome you here and those of you out in the pavilion enjoying a beautiful day outside as well as those watching online. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. You're joining us in week two in a brand new series as we're kicking off a new year, teaching through our core values. What are the things that Trinity Church would say? These things matter most to us, and I'm really excited to get to do that. Uh, You'll notice last week we began with a banner on this side. Now we've got another one on this side, and that's really what we'll do is we'll just kind of keep adding them weekly. Today we're talking about the idea that the Bible is God's story, and we'll kind of unpack that a little bit together and share that with you. If in your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these. If you want to get those out, you can have those handy. It'll help you track with us as well as those of you that are in home groups. Those will be your prompts as you get together later this week. If you have a Bible today, if you'd open it to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, kind of about in the middle of your Bible, find your way there. We're going to be walking through that chapter today and just seeing the value of what God's Word says about God's Word. And uh, we'll kind of see that bubble to the top. So we're really glad that you're here with us today. It was really fun. It's been a little bit of a harried service for me, but our first Trinity or Discover Trinity group uh, started this service today. It's our third weekend of the month. And uh, they were walking around getting an overview of what we're going to look at today of basically just sharing our core values so you can have an idea of what Trinity is all about. If you'd like to be a part of that, next month in February, third Sunday of the month, we'll do the same thing during this 1045 service. So glad that we're going on that today. Um, Well, here's what we're going to do. Our core values, uh, it's really interesting. Organizations uh, of all types work with a set of core values, whether whether they articulate them or whether they're just unspoken. And often the time that you know that you violated the core values and you realize that they exist is when you've done something outside of them. And everyone's kind of raising their hands like, whoa, 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 we don't do that that way, or this is really important to us. And so what we did as a uh, pastoral and ministry director staff last spring was we spent a lot of time, I told you last week, it is hard to get 12 people to agree to anything. So just know there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went to really wordsmithing these and being able to develop them uh, well to be able to share with you today. But these are the core values that we articulated back then, and we're taking the first couple of months of this new year, 2020, to explain those. And and really, again, if you've been at Trinity very long, you won't be surprised by any of them. I think you'll be encouraged and reminded of some things that are valuable to us. If you're new to Trinity, this is an incredibly great time to be here and just hear about what we would say these things matter most. So today, you can see over here on the banner or in your notes, this core value related to the Word of God reads this way. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. God's story given to transform you and to be the authority of your life. We're going to see today that the creator of the universe has made himself known in so many ways, but specifically in 66 books that you're holding in your hand, whether on your phone or in a paperback ver- or paper version. And the reality today is we're going to talk about the incredible gift and the gratitude that we have that God has made himself known and what that word of God is supposed to do and be for us. If you look in your notes, here's our now what statement. We will hope that this week you'd walk away, that we would value God's word as your authority and engage it with the goal of becoming more like Jesus. That's what transformation looks like. Number one in your notes today, God is a God of revelation. 
God is a God of revelation. He wants to make himself known to you. That is a powerful thing just to stop and consider that. Your Bibles are open to Psalm chapter 19. Look how David begins, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So here David begins, and he is giving high praise and great poetry. I hope you can appreciate this in this particular psalm. It's just the incredible poetry that David is using to describe what to you and I becomes very normal. You get up and you see the sunrise. You look into the stars at night. And David is saying, man, this proclaims the greatness, the power, the wisdom, the beauty of God. And it's, it's pouring forth speech, though it's using no words. And so David's using this wonderful language to begin by saying, God is a God of revelation. And the thing I want you to hear clearly today is he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He invites you close. He welcomes you so that he can, he is, what he has done is an amazing thing, even moving beyond the natural created order to give us his book, his word, the Bible, that we would even know him better. Before his book was ever written, I want you to think about that for a second. <clears throat> Many of us have grown up in or near the Bible most of our lives. So it's a very odd thing to think of. What would life be like if I didn't have the written word of God available to me? But process this. Think about what it was like even before Moses penned what we have as our very first words. Think of the generations that existed between Adam and Eve and when Moses came on the scene and began to write down this account beginning in the book of Genesis. How did God reveal himself, make himself known to people then? It wasn't through the Bible. It didn't exist yet. So, and we read about when Moses does tell us of those accounts, we read about people who experience God right in front of them or through an angel or through amazing, miraculous ways. And so we see that God has always been revealing himself. What is it, this idea of, think of people today who in their own native language don't have a written word of God? That's why we so value ministries uh, that are, are all about their whole primary focus. Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, New Tribes Mission, now called Ethnos 360, these ideas of going, we want to get the word of God into the written, normal, speaking language of every person on the planet. There's still literally thousands of people groups that don't have a version of God's word in their native tongue. And so we love and we support and pray for these ministries that are doing that work all over the world. But think about those people today. Number one, how incredibly privileged we are that we do have the word of God in our language. But think about them today and how are they discerning, how are they to know of God? David says there is a creation full of examples that they actually can know that there is a God and how powerful, how wise, how beautiful he is. Think of the people in your relational world. 
people that might not have yet ever really, even though they have the Bible readily available, have ever thought twice about opening it or reading it for themselves, how are they to know who God is? They have the same reality of what we the theologians call general or natural revelation. What has God put on display in the created order that echoes who he is? But I want to tell you, I hope that the people in your relational world have even another layer of revelation in that as they interact with you, as they see Jesus being lived out in your life, they have this very personal, very real example of something about the character and nature of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. We'll come back to that a little bit later in our time together. So as we think about these ideas that God has been a God of revelation, God, look at the way that you communicate who you are through what you've designed. The reality is, is that what we know, the Bible talks of this, that this gives people the ability to at least know that there is a God and a little bit of what he's like. Romans 1 says that actually all of humanity are without excuse because of what they can see and detect of the character of God because of creation. We talked about these great poetic words that David is using, heavens that are declaring, skies that are proclaiming, and they're demonstrating, though without words, the the beauty and the knowledge of who God is. So God makes himself known in powerful, demonstrative, beautiful ways through the created order. Romans 2 goes on to say that God has also built within every human being a moral compass, And what we can know is that God is a God of right and wrong, that there is something that is true and there is something that is false because that's been communicated to us. We get that. We live on that frequency. But even with those resources, people are still at a loss to know the most important thing about everything in life, and that is that this God has done more than reveal himself. He's come and lived among us in the person of Jesus. And not just lived and walked among us, but in living a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, was raised supernaturally on the third day. So what Jesus accomplished was a way for you to be right with your creator. That's what we can know and only can really know through scripture. Look at the way that Paul wrote this to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3.15, he's talking to Timothy and he says, and how from infancy you, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures. And look at this description, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures give us this ability to truly know who God is and know this gospel and respond to it. So we see a God who is revealing, making himself known through multiple means. And what I want you to see today is related to his word in particular. I want you to see it's the primary mode by which we can not just know more of him, but what he's done for us and how he would have us to live. I love the way Spurgeon put it. Look at this quote. It's in your notes and on the screen. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work. And feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. That's beautiful. That's a great way to talk about God's complete revelation naturally in creation and specially or uniquely through scripture. I could spend a lot of time today discussing how the Bible is unique from any other book in existence merely by the way it's been put together. It's been written by over 40 human authors who have written in three different languages on three different continents, watch this, over a period of 1,500 years. 
That's astounding just in and of itself that the Bible has that kind of reality in the way it was composed. We believe that the Bible, we'll see this later today, was spoken by God himself. And in that reality that we believe he used human authors to pen and write down what he wanted communicated. So within that whole scope of things, there's nothing like the Bible. Those facts, by the way, that I just gave you came out of my rooted book. My home group is going through Rooted right now, and that we are on the very same week of God's revelation related to what we're even teaching on today through our core values, and they lined up just right. I can't wait for you to have opportunities to go through Rooted coming up in March, and again, I want to make a pitch for that, that if that's something you're considering, get signed up and be in a group. But that's what, exactly what we're reading about this week. I could give you a lot of time today discussing how the Bible has more textual evidence for the Bible's authenticity than any literature of antiquity. There's nothing even close that matches the number of manuscripts that we have that demonstrate the Bible's accuracy. Nothing even comes close. I could do this, this slide that's been up for the last three minutes, I could tell you about that, that when you Google what's the most read book, that's exactly what you're going to find. So the reality is I could tell you all these things about the Bible, but instead, I want to spend the most time today just doing this, discussing with you over the rest of this time, God's revelation of himself, his ways, and his story, and what its purpose is, the Bible's purpose in our lives will demonstrate. Before we go there, I want to begin with this, though. I want you to know in advance, not everything about the, our creator God, the God of the Bible, is revealed in the Bible. God has made it really clear. I'm going to give you a whole lot of information and, and truth and direction in your life to know me, but there's still more, more that's going to be revealed. This passage we'll see quickly is these secret things. And the great news is what a great thing to look forward to in heaven when we get to see God face to face and those things will be made known as well. Look at the tension that Moses records, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So the things I still don't understand or know, but these things, these revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. And that's a great tension to live in. God, there's still some things I don't know yet, but what I do know, I'm going to take those things to heart. I'm going to live according to them. Number two in your notes today, because of its author, the Bible is authoritative. Because of its author, the Bible is authoritative. So your Bibles are open to uh, Psalm chapter 19. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. When we come to understand this creator God and the fact that he wants to reveal himself, he wants you to know him, then we begin to kind of walk through this idea that if that's who he is, if he is the king of kings, if he is the one who is ultimately over everything, then it would make sense that what he communicates would be more than a suggestion, but it would be authoritative. It'd be directional for our lives. This is more than just a good idea. This is something that God himself says. This is how it interacts in my experiences. 
Most often when I'm counseling an individual or couples and we're talking, my very first statement is going to be, why don't you paint me a picture of what's going on in your life of why you wanted to meet today? And they'll begin to share with me issues they're facing or issues in their marriage or whatever it may be. And as I begin to listen to that and ask a couple of follow-up questions, what I'm very quick to do is to pick up my Bible and just simply ask them a question. As it relates to this book, how do you see it? Is it something that's meant to give you advice or does it get to speak authoritatively in your life? Now, that's not going to change anything I'm going to share with them. I tell them, you didn't come to see a counselor or a therapist, you came to see a pastor. So I think you would expect that I would give you truth from the word of God today, but it's when we begin to talk a little bit more and as I begin to share with them truth related to their circumstances, that then I can kind of come back to this idea and say, well, just a few minutes ago, when I asked you if God's word was authoritative in your life, in this particular case, maybe you told me yes. God gets to tell me how I'm supposed to live. So now that you're looking at the truth of what God's word says on this issue, man, you've got this fork in the road. You can choose to be consistent with what you said a minute ago and say, I, God gets to be authoritative. I'm going to live under that direction. Or you can say, God, I'm departing. I mean, I've said God's word's authoritative, but I'm not going to live like it. And I bring that up to their attention just to be aware they didn't come that day to come and see me and hear my advice. Man, they need something way better than that. They need the truth of God's word so they can know, man, what steps should I take next? So think about you. If I were to ask you that question today, how would you answer that? How, does this book get to speak authoritatively in your life? There might be answers in the room today that would range from things like, well, it's an irrelevant ancient book that's outdated and not connected to our lives. There's plenty of people who believe that. Others might say it's too hard to understand and apply. It just seems like I'm reading a foreign language and I don't get it. Some would say it's a good book that has some helpful ideas, kind of like a recipe book. You know, you pick the ones you want and you make those, see how they go. Others would say it's great for the things that I like, but I'm not interested in the parts I don't like. So it's very much like, hey, as it works for me and as I kind of deem that to be true or helpful, I'll take it, but the rest I don't really want to engage. Or is it this? Is it the revealed written word of the God who created the universe, who has the rightful authority over my life and every creature's life? I'd want you to know that's the stance of Trinity Church. That's kind of how we land I want you to see what David says about this authoritative word of God, which interestingly for him, he had only a fraction of the 66 books you have in your hands. At the time David wrote this psalm, he had only a fraction of what you're holding today. And I want you to see something really powerful. In the first six verses, the language David originally wrote in Hebrew, David used a generic word for God, like supernatural being, in the first six verses. But by the time he gets to verse 7, he uses the personal name of God. When Moses said, you want me to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let these people go, who should I say has sent me? God gives him his name, not a title. He says, Call, tell him that Yahweh, I am, has sent you. So the rest of the psalm in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of Yahweh, not just generically a creating God, the law of Yahweh is perfect, refreshing the soul. Because God's word is perfect, 
without flaws. Truth is something that brings refreshment to you. Like drinking pure water that's cold on a hot day. You just realize, man, this is so refreshing. The statutes of Yahweh are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Because the word of God is reliable, something that you can stand upon. It causes people who are otherwise, and I'll put myself in this category, otherwise very simple people to appear wise. Because we simply say, well, this is what the creator of the universe says on that topic. The precepts of Yahweh are right, giving joy to the heart. Because God's word is correct, it contains truth that is so much higher than assorted opinions. Therefore, what it does is it gives you joy because you know that you're acknowledging, understanding, and living according to truth, not just one opinion that's maybe different or better than another. I want you to know I, was, I had the really pr- great privilege of speaking to our T-Moms group on Friday morning, and I was sharing with them the, the generation that they're raising up, right? They're toddlers now, are going to be raised in a generation in America that more than ever has valued individual opinion over reality and truth. Even the phrase, my truth, doesn't make any sense. It's my opinion, But the reality is when we see the word of God, this is something that has been so helpful to me, so helpful to the people that I've been able to walk with through challenging things is to look at the word of God and say bigger than anyone's opinion in the room, bigger than anyone you could read on the internet, God has said truth on this topic. Let's lean into that. Let's live by it. Let's stand upon it. Be confident in it. The apostle Paul said that, The challenge is when we don't live according to that, from Ephesians 4, we get tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. It comes back to God's word is something that gives us an anchor. It gives us a point of reference that we might live in a way that is right and in a way that's blessed. The commands of Yahweh are radiant, giving light to the eyes. What a beautiful illustration. Think about the last time you were in a dark space. Might have been a room. It might have been someplace outdoors, but it was so dark. And imagine there was a part of you that was just like, I can't even take a step because I can't see what's out there. I don't know what I'm going to trip on. I don't know what's going to jump out at me. So the moment that you turned your phone on to flashlight, The moment someone flipped the switch, whatever happened, and light illuminated the room, all of a sudden, what was confusing now is clarity. I can see the space around me. I know how to navigate because there's light in the room. Man, so many of you, when we talk about your life prior to Christ, that is so much the story. Todd, I just lived in confusion. I just lived from one moment and one opinion to the next and was bouncing all around. There was nothing. I was so, it was foggy. And the word of God has provided me a sense of clarity I've never known in my life before. The fear of Yahweh is pure, enduring forever. Because a right understanding of God and his word results in this right posture of reverence and awe. That's something that's not only right, it's something that's eternal. That's going to be our attitude, our approach, our response to God all through eternity. It begins now when we get to know him through his word. The decrees of Yahweh are firm, they are, and all of them are righteous. They're solid ground, a place to stand, not wobbly, not shifting. Man, that's a powerful thing to be able to lean into. And because they're all together right, they're that which we know emanates and comes from the character of God, because that's who he is. 
Take, for example, this weekend, what many people are celebrating besides, and for really good reasons, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. What Jen mentioned earlier today, the sanctity of life. This has been kind of declared by many as a sanctity of life weekend. And I want you to know that when you think about this idea that God has this unique valuing of human life, this sacredness about human beings, it's something that we believe in and it's something that we make much of because the Bible makes much of it. You see, we don't make a big deal and celebrate it because it's on a calendar somewhere. We don't do it because our denomination top down says you better make a big deal of it. None none of that. We just simply believe that the Bible teaches that humans are made uniquely. Look in your notes. Because human beings, unlike anything else in the created order, are made in the image of God. They have an intrinsic value and worth. Because they're made different than anything else in creation and that they're made in the image of God, they have an intrinsic value and worth. So we highlight the truth that all human life is sanctified, set apart uniquely by God because God's word, the Bible, tells us so. Look at this from Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God, from the very beginning, first chapter of your Bible says there's a uniqueness to this created being that you are. You are an image bearer of God. Everything in God's creation has value. This has a unique value like nothing else. Let me rephrase. You have a unique value like nothing else. So we make much of Sanctity of Life Weekend because the Bible makes much of it. I want to thank those of you today who brought the supplies that Jen was mentioning. They're in the card in your Trinity this week. We're going to be receiving them next weekend as well. And all we're going to do is gather them up, take them to the San Bernardino Pregnancy and Family Resource Center. We love these guys because we love the way that they are people wanting to bring help and hope to people who are struggling, confused, and don't even know what to do next. We love that. They're a great ministry, local ministry partner. And so your way of, of helping support them is huge and something I know they love our team teamwork on. Beyond these Old Testament or former covenant accounts, see how the Apostle Paul views the authoritative application of God's word, again, because of who its author is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, what isn't fit under that umbrella, all scripture is God-breathed, literally from the mouth of God. And watch, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When you look at those four words, all of those things are directive styles of teaching, directive styles of conversation and communication. You teach, rebuke, correct, and train according to truth and authority versus just, well, this is my opinion. So this is a big deal. If you want to know what Trinity Church values regarding the Bible, we simply believe it to be the authority in your life. Number three today, as we finish, the Bible is transformative when you apply its truth to your attitudes and actions. The Bible is transformative when you apply its truth to your attitudes and actions. Just to pull back the veil, I I shared with you a little bit of the conversation that was going on when we were talking about our core value last week. And this particular core value, it was such a big deal in that room of demonstrating that not only is God's word authoritative and true, but God's word is meant to produce change in us. 
It's meant to do something that begins to change us from the inside out. It's unlike any other kind of thing that God uses to not only give us new ideas and right understanding, but actually begin to change our want-tos. And so that's a huge deal to us at Trinity Church, not just that you would know the Word of God. You and I might know a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, but then when you watch what their life looks like, it's very confusing because it seems very disconnected and inconsistent. Look what David goes on to say, Psalm 19, verse 10. They, talking about the commands of God, are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of transgression. So look how David writes now. He, this is the subject matter, is now talking about the written word of God. And look how he talks about this idea that it, not only is it something that is the revelation of God, not only is it something that deserves authority, but look what it's doing. Look how it has the opportunity and abil- ability to change him. We see clearly from David's perspective that the response and applications of the truth of God's word putting them into motion in our lives is what produces transformation and positive growth. Look in your notes. It's not just knowing the word of God, but applying it with the expectation that it will not only change your behaviors, but you from the inside out. Not just knowing the word of God, but applying it with the expectation that it will not only change your behaviors, but change you from the inside out. Look how David understands this. He talks first about how incredibly valuable, right? Better than riches, sweeter than honey. And then look at the the specific ways. He says, by them, by these commands, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Look at those two dynamics he's talking about from the beginning. On the one hand, God's word. And when I was thinking about this, I think of the book of Proverbs, which is so thick with this great language of, hey, if you will stay away from these things that are destructive and damaging in your life, but not just stay away from these, but actually are drawn towards, move towards these, this will keep you. These are warnings that keep you safe. These are things that bring blessing. Proverbs reads that way so often. Don't engage in this. Instead, go towards this. And when we look at that reality, that's what David is saying here, that God's word has this ability to warn him to stay clear of things, as well as providing him with great reward when he engages in obedience. Man, that to me is so huge, this idea of this incredible pathway for how to live, steering clear from destruction and aligning with where blessing is found. The sad thing is so many of us still see the Bible as a don't list, right? Most of it's all about what not to do. And in doing that, it seems a lot like a DMV uh, 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 periodical, some form of communication. Here's the rules of the road. Stay here and, and you'll be fine. But man, there's so much more depth and reality to Scripture, though it does have directives, steer clear of this, draw near to that. Man, it's all with the goal of developing richness in your life. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Man, I love this line in Psalm 19 because here's what David's saying. God, in my life, there are things that are blind spots in my life. I'm not even available to, to detect them. They're outside of my lens. Right now, my hand is outside of my peripheral. 
I, I know it's there from the shadows I can see on the floor, but outside of that, I can't see it. So imagine the things in your life that are, are concerned. Some of you drive cars right now with technology that will let you know what you can't see. I still drive a dumb car. I've got to cream my neck around and make sure I'm not going to pop into someone when I move into another lane. But that reality is God's word. It brings the things in blind spots out into the open. Now watch this. Not only does it bring things in a blind spot to the open, but then it leads David to saying, God, forgive me. Because even something I wasn't aware of, your word like a mirror, it demonstrates something to me. And as a result, now I can see it. And as a result, would you forgive me for living outside of your design? Can I tell you, there's no book on the planet that brings light to blind spots and then moves you to the right place of seeking forgiveness from whom you have um, sinned against. That's so powerful to me. I love that line, particularly in the poem. Verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. David knows it's not only in the hidden areas, but the overt, the willful areas of his life where he might be tempted to live his way, not God's. And that needs to also be transformed, be changed to look more like God in his life and less like him. Look at the way that Paul says where the avenue of transformation actually happens in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't conform, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Uh, that, that's a word that we get almost like the same concept of a jello mold. When you pour stuff in, it just takes the shape. Don't just continue to be molded by the factors around you. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where it happens. If you're here today and you're saying, Todd... I deeply want to be changed. I, I do value the word of God as, as the creator of the universe revealing himself to me. I do value its authority over my life. And even though there's times if I'm honest, I, I do deviate and do my own thing anyway, even when I know better. But man, this part of transformation, I want it. But I want you to see what we just read but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means the word of God has to be intersecting with what you're thinking about. I loved it today after this service. A gentleman in our senior adult community comes up to me and he says, Todd, the very best thing I've ever done is start memorizing scripture. It's getting it in my head and moving into my heart. And I'm actually thinking about processing the very words of God all throughout the day. Man, if you're here today and you're thinking, oh, it's, that was a little kid thing. I'm too old. Okay, my friend in his 70s today told me different. That's powerful. So realize that transformation happens in an active reality. I can't change myself, but what I can do is continue to see the word of God as true and begin to continue to apply it to my life. And what happens, not just behavior change, heart change, transformation of the mind. I begin to think in a way that's consistent with the word of God. I told you in this series that we started last week that I wanted to highlight weekly. I could, and on this topic, man, I could talk about so many groups and ministries within Trinity Church that evidence this core value so well. But I was gone from our staff meeting a week ago and I asked our staff team to develop some names. I absolutely love, they came up with three of our high school students, um, Matthew Hood, uh, David Sepulveda, and Anthony Parker. These three gentlemen all began a Bible study at Augie's downtown here in Redlands last May. Watch this, Friday afternoons at 5.30. Okay, these are high school young men. 
who a lot of their peers have a lot of other things they do on Fridays at 5.30. But they began this Bible study, and here's a picture of them from uh, summer camp. They're along with a few other friends, but those three guys, I couldn't get a picture from them, so I stole one off their inter, uh, Instagram account. Uh, that's the best I can do today. But when I asked them, I said, tell me why the Word of God's valuable to you, and, and why this Bible study, this is what they said. We think the word of God is significant and started a Bible study because having a group of people intentional about spending time in the word is crucial to having gospel-centered community in which we can encourage each other, hold each other accountable, and rejoice together. That's pretty impressive. High school students from Trinity Church who are saying, you know what, we value the word of God not just when we're here in a programmed event, but something that we want to get together, rally around, and continue to make the Word of God both authoritative and transformative in our lives. In your notes today, what I want to make sure that you hear, when we value the Word of God as both authoritative and transformative in our lives, our relational world notices and recognizes not only do we live according to a different code, but they see the Jesus in our lives that we follow. I would really want you to not miss that today, that it's not about that you have a different philosophy than the people in your life who are unconvinced of Jesus. I'd hope it would be more than the people in your world recognize that there are a lot of things you don't do. The gospel is so much bigger than what you don't do anymore. It's what you are doing, how you are engaging, and how you are loving people that God supernaturally, strategically places in your world. That's what I hope the people in my world are seeing is not just Todd is this, but Todd shows me that. And that's when the Bible is doing its work, not just being my authority, but transforming me. And when we value the word of God as authoritative and transformative, these, these words become our prayer. The kind of prayer that you've heard before, maybe prayed before, but you get it in a rich way today. The very last words of Psalm 19 are our prayer. They're up on the screen. I'd like you to read them with me today. Let's read them aloud. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's our now what statement. Value God's word as your authority and engage it with the goal of becoming more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who would simply begin by saying thank you. Thank you for all the people on the planet today. You have made yourself uniquely known to us through your word. And God, though we even know that the Bible is the most read book on the face of the planet, there are still so many people who don't have a copy of it in their native tongue. So God, thank you for ministries that even beyond our support and connection, are so concerned about getting God's word in people's hands and hearts and heads. So we thank you. We thank you that you've revealed yourself. You welcome us. You invite us to come close. God, this week, would we live in a way that your word really is valued at a level of being authoritative and transformative in our lives? You may be here today and you would say, I have heard of this gospel, this Jesus from the Bible before, but up until now, I haven't been ready to respond. I haven't been ready to say that's something that I need to. But you're here today and, and that's what's different is you are ready. You are at a place where you would say, Jesus, I recognize that 
and I admit that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I've been living life on my terms, not yours. I've reaped the consequences of that. And today I come as someone who recognizes how much I need you. I believe that Jesus is the only savior available, that this God man lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, was raised supernaturally on the third day. So today I choose, I choose to say, Jesus, I put my trust, my confidence in who you are, what you've accomplished, not my morality, not my religion. And as a result, I wanna live life following Jesus' example. You can make that decision to respond to the gospel today, and my prayer is you wouldn't leave this place until you do. Father, this week, in our lives, in our speech, in our attitudes, God, we, would we represent how grateful we are for your word? Would it be our authority? Would it be that which is transforming us from the inside out? We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.